Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Today is the kickoff of our brand new Summer Flick series, and it's also 4th of July weekend. Can we just have a big hand for America? Just thank God for America. I just love our country so much. So grateful to be a part of a place where we can be free. Come on, we can give a standing ovation for America. Come on. Come on. Hey, let's go. Aren't you glad that we're living in a country where we can talk about Jesus in public and have a church? We can change people's lives for the Lord. Amen. Amen. Happy birthday, America. (laughs) And today is also, um, you know, getting to do Top Gun Maverick. That's, I mean, that's, that's a pretty fun right there. I mean, it tried to stick me with a little mermaid and I gave that to Pastor Amy. So, uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun here today. Uh, These summer series, maybe you've never been one of our summer series before we kind of go into some movies and things like that. And I think that, uh, you know, as a film director and someone who loves the communication style of film, something to me that's powerful about film and that got me interested in film and just multimedia in general, but specifically like plays like Blink or film is like, it's, it's one of the rare times in, in Western culture where strangers come together and they sit for two hours in a room with, and just listen to a message. They listen to kind of a sermon for two hours and no one really talks back very much to the screen. You just sort of listen to whatever it is that someone's saying. So that's a tremendous opportunity. And no wonder Hollywood has shaped much of our thinking and much of our culture because they've had our unadulterated attention. Uh, and, and now we see, you know, with Netflix and streaming services, movies, TV shows, people are able to just get message after message across. And, and, and I think that uh, movies are powerful because they have the ability to teach us things. And there's so many times that I can look throughout the history of my life at uh, moments that I've related to a character in a film and that has kind of summarized what I went through. I said, yeah, that's kind of how I saw it or that's what I went through. And in the same way, we've picked some really fun and exciting movies that I think are going to ha- appeal to the whole family. But before I get directly into this, I do want to tell you that if you have kids, you have to get them to Soul Fire on July the 30th. The presence of God is going to be so strong at Soul Fire. Uh, I just really encourage you not only continue with the sponsorships and sending kids, but I know that God is going to do something extraordinary. My son Jude is going to be there. He is coming to the end of his radiation treatments right now. For those of you that have been praying uh, for him, I'm excited about the opportunity he has to be involved. And he's really uh, there, you know, trying to get his Port out because he, he's like, you know, like you, he, these are the things that he should be thinking about uh, in life. He's like, Dad, I got to get my port out because we got to win in my team sports. You know, he's like really excited about uh, being involved and being on the team. So I'm pumped up about that. Uh, and uh, we'll just get right into my message. But by the way, one more time, if you've got kids, send them to Soulfire. Don't let anything stand in your way. We've got some scholarships. Do everything you can. Knock on every door you can. Find out all the information you can. Even if your kid is not super connected, number one, you could send them to Icon on Wednesdays and get them connected so they can start being involved in meeting people. But we want to get them integrated. And I just believe that a true move of God is going to happen this summer in our youth. I believe that revival is happening in our city. I believe something is happening in our church. Before I even get into my message, I just feel the power of the Holy Spirit moving right now. If you're here today and you feel like you have not experienced God's presence in a long time, 
God's presence is here right now for you. You can have a move of God right now on this summer day, just a, a random day that you decide to show up at church. If you're watching online and you just have felt dry in your life, distant from God, he loves you and he cares for you today. You're here for a reason today. The reason is not just that you woke up in time or that someone, you know, someone made you come to church with them. That's not the reason. The Holy Spirit brought you here today. You're here for a purpose. So don't treat it as something common and ordinary. The miracle that you've been waiting for in your life, it might be here right now. Are you ready to press in and to get all of God's presence that he has for you? Because he cares for you and nothing that has happened to you in your life is wasted either. God uses every experience in our life, even when we're going through things that we don't understand. When we look back at the history of our life, he uses a lot of brokenness. He uses a lot of failures. He uses a lot of mistakes, as we'll see in our message today, uh, to bring you to a place where he can actually show you something through those things. So that's what we're going to be looking at. My text is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, really painting this picture of the heroes of the faith that have gone before us and are in heaven, by the way, the idea here is that all the heroes of heaven are watching you. All the heroes of heaven, all the people that have gone before you that are with the Lord are watching you and cheering you on and rooting you on. So every song you listen to, every movie that you watch, every conversation you have, every word that comes out of your mouth, all of heaven is watching, saying, come on, live for Jesus, do the right thing, do the right thing. And what it's saying is, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, everything that hinders, anything that could possibly get in your way from having the kind of relationship with God that matters and making a difference in your life, throw aside everything that could hinder, and I'm gonna get back to this next couple of words toward the end of my message, and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance. Somebody say run. run. Okay, running and running with perseverance are two different things. Per running with perseverance, we, I, I can run, right now I can run but not with perseverance. I'm not in good enough shape right now to run with perseverance. I can run, I, I played pickleball last night and I was running, but my knee is hurting and I'm tired. So I don't have a lot of uh, perseverance right now. I gotta build that up. Uh, it, it says run the race that is marked out for us. It's, it, it's marked out for us. That means God drew the lines. He said, this is your race. Here's the way that you're supposed to run it. So anything that would hinder you from running this race effectively, throw it away, throw it to the side so you can finish this race. I'm going to talk to you today in our Summer Flick series, kicking it off. I'm going to talk to you a message that's called Moses the Maverick. Moses the Maverick. Father, bless this time today in your presence. I thank you for everyone that's watching online, for the people that are in this room. Holy Spirit, we continue to invite you. We've invited you through our worship. Lord, we've invited you uh, by the reading of the word just now and through the preaching of the word and the receiving of the word. We continue to invite you. 
Lord, just to interact with every part of our life. Lord, I pray for miracles in this room right now in Jesus' name. It, no matter what it is, if it's a, a couple that is on the verge of divorce or someone that has cancer or a sickness or mental issues or addictions, break all those things right now in the name of Jesus as your Holy Spirit just softens our hearts so that we can be more like you. And we thank you for what you're doing today in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. All right. Uh, I saw Top Gun in 1985. There was a theater. Now, if you're an old school or old school Orlando person here, you'll remember this. Does anybody remember the rocking the rocking chair theater? It, raise your hand. Is, is there anyone here that remembers the rock? There's like two people. It's a very old place in Orlando. So the, the, this is where I saw Top Gun in 1985. It was so fire. I mean, I mean, just there's no way to explain. Uh, you know, how, how unbelievable, I'm 13 years old, the music, the, um, the cinematography, uh, you know, take my breath away. You know, it's just, it's, it's fire. I mean, just everything about the movie was, was unbelievable. Tom Cruise was so cool. Um, it, it's just, you, it's one of those movies that you leave, you leave the theater, uh, you know, wanting to go, it's like in Rocky, you know, you leave punching, you know, here you're, you're leaving, you know, making all these hand moves. You want to, you know, buy a, a, a like a, a little airplane, a toy airplane or something. Like, it's just unbelievable. Everyone's dressing like him. You know, I mean, I, I was introduced to Ray-Bans at that time. You know, I started wearing them. I didn't quite look exactly like Tom Cruise, but I tried anyways. Uh, this movie was like a, a huge uh, cultural phenomenon. But when you look back at this movie, I thought it was cool for a long time. But when, I, when you really begin to analyze Top Gun, the original Top Gun, and that's not fully what this is about today. This is about the sequel, Top Gun Maverick. But the original Top Gun had some incredible, even as a writer myself, I start to look at things different, his story differently. This movie was set up to win from the beginning because it had some unbelievably powerful backstory ideas in the movie. Maverick, Tom Cruise's character in Top Gun was living under the shadow. Now, the only reason I'm going into detail about Top Gun is because, first of all, I want to say Top Gun Maverick is just absolutely incredible. I mean, it's just a totally phenomenal movie. If you have not seen it, I think it's one of the best sequels I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, but it's really, really strong. But it's strong because of the first one. So in the first one, you have Maverick, who's this young guy who does it his own way, very talented but he's living under the shadow of his father. And his father, there's a lot of ambiguity about what actually happened to him. And a lot of people say that he was rogue, that he didn't do things by the book, that uh, he did something wrong. But he's very known in the Navy uh, as being a very famous and talented guy. But there's sort of this shadow and he's living uh, kind of angry at his father, uh, also trying to live up to the image of his father who was shot down in a dogfight in Vietnam. Well, in Top Gun, he goes to his mentor and he talks to him. And he says, hey, I flew with your old man and he did it the right way. And he was he was great. And he kind of gives it takes some of the pressure off of him that that he was actually a great pilot. But throughout this movie, we see Tom Cruise dealing with this struggle of living in the shadow of his father. And I think that's why his character is so powerful, because there's a backstory to why he does everything his own way. So in the movie. Because of his pride and trying to outdo everyone and live up to this image that he's created of his father, uh, he gets in a situation with his friend Goose where, where he dies in a tragic accident, which is not Maverick's fault. There's even an investigation done that shows it's not his fault. But because he's living 
uh, in, in this um, thing that he's created for himself that he should have been able to prevent this, he deals with a lot of guilt and pain from the death of his best friend, Goose, who dies in this uh, flight training scenario. That's actually the fault, ironically, of Iceman, who gives him some great advice in part two. But anyways, um, as, he, uh, as he's moving forward through the movie, there's actually something that people mistake at the end of Top Gun. Uh, when, when at the end of the Top Gun part one, when Maverick is, uh, finally completes his mission and he's able to get over Goose's death, Goose's death just tears him up and he wants to quit. He feels like he should have been able to save him. And it kind of goes to his pride where we can't fix everything. Amen? Uh, we can't fix everything in life, but sometimes we want to. At the end of the movie, he takes some dog tags and in, in one of the most famous scenes in the movie, he throws them overboard. And it's very well known, even written on Wikipedia, uh, is that he threw Goose's dog tags away as a sign of finally letting go of the past. But some, some things that have come out recently with the enhancements of, of uh, images is when people uh, zoomed in on the dog tags, which you can see for just a second, it actually says Mike Mitchell. He, his name is Pete Mitchell, but it's the dog tags of his father. So in that scene at the end of Top Gun, he's letting go of the, the weight that was on him his whole entire life of living up to the image of his father. So that's what pushed him to the edge and caused him to do things his own way. Now that sets up the scene for, for part two, which is um, he, he's now lived this whole, his whole life. Now remember, he still hasn't got over Goose's death. That's not what part one was about, him getting over Goose's death. He's still living with his guilt in part two, which has led him his own pride has led him to a life of isolation. Pride will do that to us, won't it? When you live a prideful life and you feel like you should be able to fix everything, you can fix everything, it isolates us from people. Uh, we have to touch everything. We have to get our hands in on everything. And if it doesn't work out, we blame ourselves. And it can create a lot of hurt, can create a lot of emotional distance. And in this movie, we see a guy that's very emotionally distant, never had kids, never got into a relationship, and constantly still pushes the boundaries of what's possible. And that's why we see at the beginning, he's testing like the fastest flight that's like up on the edge of the atmosphere and things like that. He's going against the rules still, even at a much older, I don't know how he hasn't aged, you know, and it's like, it looks the same as he did in 1985. So he, he's, uh, he's pushing, pushing the boundaries, all this stuff. Well, anyways, Goose's son is one of the characters in this new film. And Goose's son, he, uh, Maverick made a promise to Goose's mom. It's revealed in this movie that he would never let his son uh, be in a, a, a fighter pilot and continue in the path that his father did. So he's tried to prevent this along the way, which uh, his son, whose name is Rooster, I guess they keep it in the bird family. Uh, he, he, he is very angry toward Maverick that, that he has prevented him from having promotions, from getting into Top Gun, all these different things. So, so Maverick is still struggling with, uh, with Goose's death and, and living under this heavy shadow, which causes him throughout the movie to finally come to the place where he goes to a mentor. Uh, and the mentor, as I mentioned, ironically, is the one who caused Goose's death, which is really true. If you look at part one, it wasn't Maverick's fault. It was Iceman's fault in the training scenario that led him to get in that jet wash and Goose died, things like that. But anyways, in this uh, new one, Iceman, who's much older, I think he's the Admiral, uh, Maverick goes in front of him and, and Iceman refers to why uh, Maverick has been unable to, to move on in life. And he just says, it's time to move on. He, he actually has cancer in the movie. He kind of types this 
thing out. It's, it's a very powerful scene where he says, it's time to move it. And he's referring to Goose's death. So I think that, the, and, and by the way, it's got a very heroic ending. Now, I know that's a lot of stuff. But the reason I wanted to get into that is because the backstory of unable to let go of things that we've been through, leading us to live a kind of life that we feel justified in, but can cause us pain and can keep us from not just finishing our destiny, but sometimes creating our own version of destiny by doing things our way. And when I look at that, I really do see a lot of parallels between Maverick's character and Moses. When you look at the, at the person that, of Moses in the Bible, and Moses is not a character, he's a person that actually encountered God, that actually saw God, uh, you know, pass by him, that actually experienced God writing the Ten Commandments on the tablets. I mean, what, what an unbelievable thing. He didn't, Moses didn't just write the, the Ten Commandments. Moses like, listened to what God said and saw what God did and wrote down what he saw God do. That's how close he was to God, but yet this man that God chose to experience that level of intimacy was deeply flawed on many levels. And some of it starts with his history. When you have at the end um, of Exodus 2, when uh, Joseph, or, or Exodus, or at the end of Genesis actually, when, when Joseph is in Egypt, we get into Exodus and find that the Pharaoh that honored Joseph and the children of Israel passed away. And now there's a new Pharaoh and there's all these Israelites that are living in Egypt and they're flourishing. And he kind of makes this observation. He's like, my God, these people are so blessed and they multiply. They have kids like crazy. They're good looking. They're smart. They're talented. And how are we going to get rid of them? And he comes up with this plan to take all of their firstborn. So he tells the midwives, when you're helping deliver these firstborn, kill it if it's a boy and let it live if it's a girl. But the midwives don't do it. They just won't do it. They just, it's just too, too much, it, which shows us that there is a time and a place for civil disobedience. If someone commands us to do something that is unbiblical or ungodly, uh, it's, 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 there's a time where you just say, no, I'm not doing that. That's absolutely not. That's against what God told me that I'm supposed to do. So we should never be forced into doing something that God calls immoral. Uh, so, but I anyways, uh, Moses, uh, Moses' mom uh, is, finds out that her son is getting so old, she's got to figure out what to do because they're going to kill him. So she puts him in a little basket, puts him in the Nile, and as he begins to float down the river, one of Pharaoh's daughters sees Moses and falls in love with this little baby. And the, the, the long story short, he ends up growing up in Pharaoh's household. Yes. So he's kind of like Pharaoh's adopted grandson. And he becomes extremely educated, uh, as a matter of fact, when we read some of the writings of Josephus, we find out that Moses was also an incredible general in the military who led some huge campaigns, war campaigns. So he's a skilled fighter. He's extremely cultured. Uh, he speaks multiple languages. He's a very, very sophisticated guy. And as he is getting older, when he's about 40, or he is 40, he has uh, an encounter where he sees an Egyptian that is mistreating and beating an Israelite. Now, the, now, I would just like to pause for a second before Moses makes this mistake. Because Moses has got a lot of things going on in his mind. He knows that he is not Egyptian. Yep. He knows that 
he, that a decree was put out to kill all of his people. He feels a sense of belonging to the Israelites. We can tell from the story when he sees the Egyptian beating the Israelite, he murders the Egyptian. I say murder because not only did he kill him, but it says he buried his body in the sand. So he came up with a plan to kill him and it came up with a plan to hide him. So we know that there's a conflict going on inside of Moses. He feels torn, which leads him to this sense of wanting to see some kind of justice done, but doing it in his own way. So we know there's all kinds of things that are going on in his head, but he sees this legitimate injustice, but he handles it in anger. Then after he, he does this, the next day, he sees some Israelites fighting with Israelites. He goes, hey, don't fight with each other. You know, why would you fight with your own people? They say, what are you going to do? Murder us too, like you did the Egyptian? He's like, oh, dang, people know. Wow. Like, I didn't bury him deep enough. He's like, that's, that's a kind of a, a fail on my part. So if, if we find out that the Pharaoh wants to kill Moses because uh, he's gone about this. I mean, what's crazy is like, if he wanted to just live the life of an Egyptian, almost every scholar tells us he could have just gone to Pharaoh and said, hey, this guy was acting this way and I killed him. I did what I did. And it was very common to be let off the hook for something like that. But since he was so shady and he buried him and then ran, Pharaoh wanted to kill him. So he leaves for this land called Midian and he just starts living this completely different life for, for, for years, for 40 years. 40, somebody say 40 years. You ever heard that phrase, life begins at 40? Well, it kind of felt like it was ending for Moses at 40 because he's like a murderer now. And he's living in this land far off. He leaves everything and he just simply becomes a shepherd. He's hanging out by a well one day and this hottie comes up with her, nine, her eight sisters, like nine sisters with uh, all these sheep and all of a sudden, as he's sitting by the well, he sees another injustice take place. Some shepherds, because these are ladies and they're trying to water their sheep, they try to run the ladies off, but he runs them off. And so the, the girls go back home and tell their dad, who happens to be Jethro, he says, why are you home so early? They said, oh, this is a really nice Egyptian guy. By the way, by saying Egyptian, we see the conflicted nature of Moses' life. Moses wasn't leaning into the fact that he was an Israelite. He appeared as an Egyptian. Culturally, he kind of came across as an Egyptian. She didn't say this awesome Israelite. No, Egyptian. And then she says, he helped us. And he's like, well, girl, are you crazy? Go get that dude. Like, bring him back. You know, so, so like, you don't, you don't let a good man go like that. So he comes back and he, Jethro gives his daughter to, to Moses to be his wife. And they get married. And they have a son named Gershom, which that name Gershom means stranger in a strange land. Another indicator that Moses feels a, an identity conflict, that even his son is called stranger in a strange land. So we see all this internal conflict. Let me pause for just a quick second. What I'm trying to tell you about all this, and I hope you're getting it along the way in all these stories that are coming together, is that we go through so many things in life. We experience all kinds of injustices. We can't choose our family, right? I mean, if we could choose our family, we would all have like one or two less crazy uncles. I just think everyone agrees with that. Like we would add some cool ones and take those weird ones away that always bring up politics at Thanksgiving dinner and stuff like that. Like it's just, it's wild. So, so um, we don't get to choose our family. We, we can't control all the things that happen to us. Things take place in our life that we don't invite in, that we didn't sign up for. And we feel all kinds of reasons 
why we think the way we do and we justify a lot of our behavior because of our experiences. Would you agree with that? So I think that this is where Moses is, is everything is kind of converging here. He's got deep, deep identity issues. Okay, so I want to come back for a second before I bring these ideas together to our text scripture. Moses has all of these issues, and the way they manifest in his life is through anger, which is a result of his pride and his desire to handle things his way in his own timing. Look at someone next to you and say, don't handle things your way. Come on, tell them, say, don't handle things in your own timing. I'm sure that felt great to hear someone tell you that. That's amazing. Now look at the person that said that to you and say, I won't handle things my way. I won't handle things in my own timing. Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin. It didn't just say sin. It says the sin. Somebody say the sin. The sin that so easily entangles us. Okay, so it says, let us lay aside every weight and everybody has the sin. Not just sin in general. It's not saying lay aside every weight and the concept of sin, which could be anything. It could be being mad. It could be pornography. It could be cheating. It could be lying. No, 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 no. That's the lay aside every weight thing. That's the lay aside. Every, but when it says, and the sin, because I got to tell you, whatever the sin is for you might not be the sin for the person next to you. Everyone struggles with different temptations. What is that sin in your life that so easily trips you up every single time? For Moses, it was anger. In Top Gun, we see that, that Maverick has a problem with his pride and, and, and guilt and shame. That's the sin, and that's why the, the, his story is compelling. But in the story of Moses, it's his anger, and anger is really a derivative of pride. Right. It's wanting to control everything and wanting to be the judge, the jury, the executioner over every particular situation. But what this is saying is that if you're ever going to be who God has called you to be, despite what you've been through, you cannot hold on to the sin. If you are going to finish your race with perseverance. So for some people, the sin is their identity. For some people, the sin is a, the sin is an addiction. For some people, the sin is a mentality. It's unforgiveness. It's bitterness. It's hurt. Whatever it is that's the sin in your life, it's not my job today to point at you and tell you what your the sin is. It's your responsibility as a believer and as a redeemed person in Christ to open up your heart to the Holy Spirit. And you know already, by the way, and to have him reveal to you and shine light on what the sin is in your life. And it's completely worth it, no matter how hard it is to lay it aside, that you can finish the race with perseverance that's marked out for you 
verse 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And I want to tell you something. Moses likes to do things his own way. So if you like to do things your own way and you're a maverick. Now, look, being a maverick, the word maverick in itself just means someone who does things unconventionally. The problem is not just someone. Jesus was absolutely a maverick. Uh, Jesus did things in his own way. The problem is when Maverick becomes rogue and it begins to, you know, you'll just kind of do anything to do, to do it your way, to get your way. That's the problem. There's nothing wrong with taking a different approach to something, but when you become isolated, when you become a lone wolf, when you become rogue, that's when it becomes a big issue with God. Now, let me ask you a question. Moses had not written or had not watched God with his own hand write on the, the tablets, thou shalt not murder, when he killed that Egyptian, but was it wrong then? Yeah, yeah it was wrong even before God wrote. So this is a principle that already existed. It was, it was wrong when Cain murdered Abel. Murder has always been wrong. It was just God wrote it down so we could read it and talk to each other and know without, beyond the shadow of a doubt that it's wrong. So he was already struggling with his anger and his pride and creating his own system of justice. Now, I've got a really, really weird scripture for you. Extremely weird. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone talk about this. Uh, it's so strange. I mean, people just kind of omit it from the story. But, you know, in, in Exodus 3, where you know, got the burning bush experience, where despite, you know, Moses fleeing and being a murderer and all this stuff. Now, by the way, he's 80 years old at the burning bush. 40 years have gone by since he's been in Midian. God calls him, he gives him excuse after excuse after excuse. I'm not even getting into those excuses as a part of his anger and, and you know, creating his own rules. He comes up with all kinds of stuff. Oh, I can't talk. I'm not eloquent, which is just not true. Uh, and God just goes, look, fine, your brother's eloquent. You can work with your brother Aaron. And he's like, oh, dang it. Can you just send someone else? He actually says that. He's like, can you just send someone else? Like, that's literally something he says after God addresses each and every one of his problems. He finally just comes up with, can you just send somebody else? And God's like, no, you're going to do it. He gives him all these little tricks he can perform. Put your hand in your cloak, throw the staff down, it becomes a snake. You know, he get all these things to prove to Israel, to prove to Pharaoh. So after all of that, when God sends Moses to finally tell Pharaoh, in Exodus chapter 4, he takes his family, he's on his way back to Egypt to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt to the promised land. Listen to what this says. It says, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. <laughs> you ever heard that before? Was about to kill. He's like, go set my people free. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> That's what it feels like. But let's dig into this for a second. It says, but Sipporah took a flint knife. I can barely read this next part. Cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Ouch, that's brutal. Cut off her son's foreskin. I don't know what Gershom was thinking at this moment. I don't know, he might be sleeping, whatever's going on, but I just know that this was a really rough moment for him to make his way into a Bible story. So, so she not only cuts 
the foreskin off and, and, and she, she puts it on his feet. Strange, you know, I'm not sure how she got this revelation. But she says, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. And I mean, Gershom was like, uh, what about me? I'm the bridegroom of blood over here. I'm the one who causes. And it says, so the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Why is this in there? Because what it means to me is that even though Moses was Egyptian, his actual identity was an Israelite. And with his own son, he neglected to circumcise his own son as was commanded by God. And the precedent that it was setting before the children of Israel is that even though your identity is in me, you have neglected to do what I have told you to do because you think you're going to do it your own way. And if it had not been for his praying wife that recognized Moses' sin and did it herself, by the way. I got news for you. There's a lot of wives that are sitting in church right now that their husbands should be here too. There's a lot of wives that pray every night that their husbands should be the ones praying. But thank God that God honored what she did, what Zipporah did, even though it was really weird. Thank God that he honored it and did not kill Moses because you know what? He would have chosen someone else. That's the way destiny works. Israel's freedom wasn't contingent upon Moses. There's probably a lot of untold stories about people that God was going to use, but they just didn't do what they were supposed to do. So he's not just a man of anger. He's a man of disobedience. We see in Exodus 17, it says the people, this is after the Exodus. It says the people were thirsty for water. They grumbled against Moses. They said, why'd you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? I mean, to Moses, he just, yang, yang, yang. It just, that's all he hears from the people. He says, what am I to do? He calls the Lord. What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said, go in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand the staff, which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. This is really important to know. Because God gives Moses instructions. I got news for you. When God tells you something, you don't do your own interpretation of it. You do what he tells you to do. Whatever he says, don't touch, don't touch it. Whatever says do, he says do, do it. Do it exactly. God is not looking for delayed obedience is disobedience. Altered obedience is disobedience. We have to do what God has told us to do. So let's move on for a second. We see um, that's a setup ver- scripture that's going to lead to something else. In Exodus 32, it says, this is after Moses gets the Ten Commandments. He comes back down and Israel's partying, worshiping a false god, a golden calf. It says, when he approached the, ca- the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. His anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hand. The tablets, the actual tablets that God wrote on. What? That's got to be the most, that is literally the most valuable physical commodity in the history of humanity. That should be something guarded uh, with, with the utmost caution in every situation. His anger, and it's actually arrogance too, because he fails to see his own sin, but he easily sees the sin in others. So it's also religion. And he throws the tablets. That's so scary. 
breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, the water and made the Israelites drink it. That, that's not I me. Mean, drink it. They're like, we mean drink it. I mean drink it. Like he's punishing them. Crazy anger. He said to Aaron, what do these people do? What did these people do to you that you led them to such great sin? Very judgmental also. And, and Aaron says, don't be angry. See, he, he knows that Moses has this anger problem. Now, numbers. Later on, there's no water for the community. The people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. Once again, there's a water problem. They quarreled with Moses and said, if we just complain, oh, if we'd only died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord, why'd you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness? that we and our livestock should die here. Same, same stuff over and over again. Why'd you bring us up out of Egypt in this terrible place? No grain, no figs, no grapevines, pomegranates. There's no water to drink. And Moses and Aaron, now, now his frustration is, is just it's boiling over. He's so mad. He's so angry. He's been hearing this stuff for years and years and years. And it's just bubbling over and bubbling over. And it says, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent meeting and fell face down. The glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock. Speak to that rock. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. What he's saying is in the old days when you were not mature, you had to strike the rock. But I'm giving you a higher level of authority because you have learned the principle of obedience with me. Don't get stuck in the old ways you used to do things because you had to strike it before. But now all you got to do is speak to it because I can trust you a little more now. So speak to the rock and water is going to pour out so that everyone can drink. And Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he had commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. Does that sound grace filled to you? Listen, you rebels. Must we bring water out of this rock? He's not putting it on God. He's putting it on himself like he has the power. Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock, not once, but twice with his staff. And water gushed out. God was faithful. God didn't say, oh, well, he struck it. I told him to speak. He struck it. No water. Why? God is merciful. He's compassionate. He wants the people to get what they need. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough, to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. Not you, them. Moses' refusal to submit to the ways of God and to do things his own maverick way resulted in a banishment from the inheritance of the promised land, despite that he was a great man, despite that he did great. I don't want you to be great and have amazing things that you accomplish and miss out on the promise of God, miss out on God's best in your life just because you chose to bend some rules and do things your own way. I understand Moses had all kinds of reasons. And you know what? 
Deuteronomy 34 says Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the whole region from the Valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zor. And the Lord said to him, this is the land that I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. That is what our way gets us. I plead with you today, no matter what you've been through, no matter what your reasoning is, don't do things your own way. Don't create your own rules. Submit to God's way and trust him. God is so faithful. What is the sin? Is it painful to grow up in someone else's house and to lose your identity? Yes. Is it painful to, to have a conflicted identity inside where everything in you is telling you're one thing, but you know you're another? That's what he dealt with. Is that painful? Yes. Is it painful to see injustice all over the place and to feel like you have to be the one to fix it? Yes. But does that ever give us a license to sin and to do things the way we see fit? No. Confront the sin that so easily entangles you. I just encourage you today. Could you close your eyes for a moment? Could you confront the sin, whatever that sin is in your life, that so easily entangles you, that's causing you to do things your own way? If you're watching online, could you confront that sin today, whatever it is? Anger, pride, addiction, honesty, abuse that you went through, unforgiveness, bitterness. You have to confront what you expect to change. See, Maverick was unwilling to confront the true source of his conflict, his internal conflict. So was Moses. If Moses would have sat down and just admitted to God the pain that he felt inside and why he was struggling with those things, he would have been set free and he would have been able to walk into the promised land. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, who wants to be able to walk into the promised land? Raise your hand if you want to walk into the promised land someday. You don't want to see it from afar, but you want to walk into the promised land. I want you to experience that today. So I pray right now, God, in Jesus' name, for every person that's here. This first prayer today is for everyone Lord, that's struggling with some sin in their life or some proclivity in their life that easily entangles them, makes them want to do things their own way. And I pray in Jesus' name for a supernatural grace to lay that at the altar. Lord, to give you everything, to throw aside everything that hinders, the sin that easily entangles us, that we can run our race with perseverance keeping our eyes fixed on you, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let there be an anointing here today to break those strongholds in Jesus' name. And with your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've never given your heart to the Lord, I want to give every person an opportunity to do so. Those of you that are watching online, if you're within the sound of my voice, if you need Jesus, when I count to three, on three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand and just put your faith in Christ to believe that Jesus died 
on a cross for you because he loves you and he cares for you. He took your sin upon himself and gave you his righteousness in exchange and that your sins died and were buried with him, died on the cross with him, were buried with him. And when he came out of that grave, you came out a brand new person in Christ. If that's you and you need to put your faith in Jesus, lift your hand on three. One, the Bible says now's the time of salvation. Two, I believe every person here today, every person watching online has been drawn here by the power of the Holy Spirit for this very, very moment. Three, hands up all over the building if that's you today. Hands going up in every single section, every single section, front to back. I believe people are lifting their hands online. Could you just pray this prayer with me right now out loud? Say, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. I'm turning away from the old life, walking into a brand new life with you, Lord Jesus. I will never be the same. I profess Jesus as my Savior. Lead me into all truth. I don't want to do things my own way. I don't want to live like a maverick. I want to live as an obedient, trusting servant that follows you into your best for every area of my life. Let it begin today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, could we give God a great praise in the house of the Lord? You are loved today. You are valued by God. Step into your destiny. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.